God has been um, doing a great move in our church for a while now. We have um, been experiencing the presence of God like never before. And um, it's, it's interesting. How many were blessed by Pastor Sam last week that came and, and brought the word of God? Um, I, I was listening to his message during the week this week um, afterwards on, on YouTube. And, and as I was listening to it, I was just so blown away because two weeks ago on Sunday, at the end of my preaching... I shared with everybody here a word of the Lord that he had given to me, and that word was rise. Everybody say that word, rise. And and, and in that word, I was like, okay, God is doing something here. And I'm listening to the preaching. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday as I'm driving. And in his preaching, as he was talking about about Joshua uh, being called and, you know, about to enter in to the promised land, he uses that word rise to to get up and I'm going God is speaking right now and God is saying things how many have ears to hear what God is saying right now and um and and it's so interesting because I hadn't told him anything about what the Lord had told me or what I had told the church that was something the Lord gave him and so God just keeps on confirming different things and I am so thankful and so grateful that we have a God who desires to continue moving in our midst. Is anybody grateful for that? And um, uh, we have, a, I, I, I'm, I'm preaching right now, but we, we have a guest speaker in our Spanish services today. And, um, and he's a, a good friend who's been a pastor for many years. And uh, it, it's really, really interesting because I was a little concerned uh, because of having two guest speakers two weekends in a row, which is not very normal for me to constantly have other people, you know, preaching. I, I was a little concerned that that where the Lord has been moving with us, that that maybe there would be kind of like a, a breakage or a stoppage by having somebody from the outside coming in and speak. And so I was talking to him this week because um, we saw each other on Thursday and, and I said, you know, the, the Lord has been doing this in our church and, and the presence of God. And, and I, I just was kind of wondering, well, what, what are you thinking of preaching about? And he tells me, the Lord has been telling me to speak about his presence. And I went, well, there you go. Nothing can get in the way of what God is doing. <laughs> Nothing. And so yesterday we were talking again, and he told me what he was preaching on, and I said, great, I'm stealing that for our third service on Sunday. So I said, well, we'll preach on the, on the same thing. And, and today I do, I want to preach about, it's just there was an immediate connection in my spirit as he spoke to me, and I knew, man, there, there's nothing else I need to give to the church. This is exactly it. I want everybody to say this with me, a place for his presence. Let's say that together. A place for his presence. I, I fully and absolutely believe that you and I need to make a place for his presence. And, and when I mention this, I want to invite you to consider and to think about what is the place that you have to be in the presence of God? Years ago, a movie came out called War Room. Some of you probably saw it. 
um, talking about the idea of just having this place, right, of prayer and intercession. But, but all of us should, should have a place where we engage the presence of God. And um, now, now the biggest place we can create, obviously, is the place in our hearts, and that is absolutely most important. But, but it's helpful to set aside times and places that we can have where we can engage God's presence. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 132. Psalm chapter 132. And then it's really interesting what it, David says here in Psalm 132. He says, Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel. I want you to read verses 3 to 5 together with me. Let's read these together. I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find... Until I find a what? A place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. David understood, I will do everything I possibly can to make sure that there is a place for the Lord, a sanctuary for the Lord where I can be with him. And I want to invite you today to consider making space and creating a place for the presence of the Lord in your life. Here it is. You see, what happened was that in those times, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. It was this box. It was covered with a lid that had two angels on it. And, 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 and this Ark carried multiple items inside of it, but the very presence of God was carried in that ark. So much so that Moses would literally hear God's voice coming from between these two angels, the cherubim, that were on the lid of the ark. This was the literal place of the presence of God. And so this ark was very important. And over time, it had, of course, been with Israel after they made it. And, and after they had moved into the promised land, the land of Canaan, that ark ends up getting lost in battle and taken by the Philistines. And I preached on this probably sometime last year. When the ark is taken by the Philistines into their temple, the temple of Dagon, it goes into the temple, and the Philistines walk into the temple the next morning, and the big statue of Dagon is, you know, fallen over, broken into pieces. And it happens multiple times. And, and so the, these guys all of a sudden figure out that there must be a stronger God that is present right now. So they grab the ark and they're like, we're removing it from the temple and, and, and we're going to send it somewhere else. So they send it over to one of their towns, the Philistine towns. And all of a sudden people start getting tumors, boils on their skin. Because of the ark that is present there. And they try to take it to multiple towns and the same thing happens. And all of a sudden, the Philistines are going, well, we are in the presence of somebody that is much more powerful than we are. And so they come up with this idea. They, they build a cart and they put the ark on the cart and they're kind of like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to send these uh, oxen to carry the ark on the cart and, and kind of see where they go. 
They didn't lead it. They didn't direct it. And all of a sudden, all on its own, because God never gets lost, the ark, the presence of God leads the oxen right back to Israel. It's so interesting. Israel did not rescue the ark. God brought himself back. (laughs) I love that. And so he brings himself back. But see, the interesting thing here was once it gets back to Israel, it is outside of the place of worship for decades. For decades. The ark is not where it needs to be. And here is David with this understanding. I am going to make sure that there is a place for the presence of God in Israel. I will make sure that there's a place for the presence of God in my life. And so I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And what's going on is David is bringing the ark back to where it needs to be. And I want to start in verse 12, if we could, in verse 12. And it says this, Then King David was told, The Lord is blessed, Obed-Edom's household, and everything he has because of the ark of God. Can I just stop right here and tell you that if you would live in the presence of God, you will be blessed. There are too many people, and I'm talking to you as believers right now, that are living your life trying to get God's blessing. Would you stop looking for his blessing and start living in his presence? And if you would live in his presence, you would get his blessing. When I stopped trying, it was amazing. When I stopped trying to get the right things, when I stopped trying to make everything work, and I just started concerning myself with living in the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden, all the things I was trying to do before just happened. They just started happening. How many want the blessing of God? His presence does it. His presence does it. So the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything He had because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, everybody say six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I mean, just think about this. Every six steps they stopped and another sacrifice happened. They were so excited and happy for the presence of God. And it says in verse 14, and David danced. Somebody say, David danced. David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment, meaning he was not wearing the clothes that were for a king. He considered himself a person who would walk and live in intimacy with his father. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. And if anybody is wondering why we shout in our services, well, here it is. Because when you got the presence of God, you cannot help but be loud. You just can't be silent anymore. You're going to be loud. 
because you are so filled with the joy that comes from the presence of the Lord. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. And so it says, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with, what does it say right there? Contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and, and set it in its place inside the special tent. David had prepared for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people. And this is interesting because blessing in the Bible, the, 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 the Hebrew word here is barak. And, and, and this word is used many, many times throughout all the Old Testament. And, and it's this idea of uh, kneeling down, actually, and, and, and giving of oneself to somebody else. And so he is giving of himself to the people. He is blessing the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. But this idea of blessing is a position of humility. And it is so interesting. So in humility, you are giving of yourself towards somebody else. And, and this word, even when we bless God, it's this idea of kneeling. We are coming and giving all of ourselves to the Lord. Can you bless God? Absolutely you can by giving of yourself to him. This is Barak. And so he Baraks the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. And then it says this, when David returned home to what? To bless. This is the same word. So David goes home and he's going, I have been in the presence of the Lord. I have blessed the people of God. Now I want to make sure that I go home and bless my family. So when David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And if you would notice right here, it does not name her Michal, the wife of David, even though she is his wife. It names her by a past identity, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And he is ready to bless his family, but she stops him and says in disgust, very sarcastically, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to her, I was dancing before who? The Lord. I, I, I want you to see this because Michal sees David dancing before servant girls. But David goes, who are you talking about? I am dancing before the Lord. Who chose me, he puts in a little subtle dig at his wife right here, who chose me above your father and all his family. But notice, he chose me. Look at somebody close to you and tell them the Lord chose you. You know, it is so much better to be a person of the presence of God because when you live in the presence of God where the Lord places you, nobody can take you from. Nobody can steal the blessings that God has for you when you live in his presence. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I 
celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing, he says, to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am what? Distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. And this is no coincidence. This is no coincidence. In fact, in those days, it was generally believed that if a woman was childless, that that was a curse of God. Now, in many places and times, that is absolutely not a curse of God. There is brokenness in bodies and things happen and, and that. But in the context of what this passage is, it absolutely was. Because this woman did not understand the presence of God. She grew up in the home of the first, well, technically second, but the first principal king of Israel, King Saul. She's the daughter of a king, yet the entire time she had lived with her father, she had never lived in the presence of God. She had all the titles, she had all the positions, she had all the clothes, she had all the right things, but what she lacked was the most important thing. She lacked the presence. And I want to tell you today that you can live your life coming up with every plan and every strategy. You can live your life. Let, let me tell you, you can even do all the things. You can do all the ceremonial stuff. You can even come to church. You can even read your Bible some. But that is not a guarantee that you are a person of the presence of God. A person of the presence of God is a person who knows how to hear his voice, who knows how to walk with him and spend time with him. It is easy to go through the motions, yet to not have the presence. Michal had all the motions, but what she didn't have was the presence. And, and when she saw David come before the presence of God, it, it, it was maddening to her. Because she could not understand why David would strip off all of his clothes and just be left with a tunic, just with one piece of clothing. He, he stripped off his armor. He stripped off his king's clothes. He had nothing that identified him according to royalty, according to power, according to position. All he had was himself before the Lord. And God is calling you and he is calling me to a place where we would strip off everything so that way we might come as we truly are before him, sons and daughters of God. God is not impressed by your positions. Let me tell you why. Because it is God that either gives them to you, so why would he be impressed by it if he gave it to you in the first place? Or it's you who decided to get it on your own, which even worse, he's definitely not impressed by. Because he goes, what I have for you is much greater than anything you can get on your own, so why, why would you bother trying on your own? God wants you to live in his presence, to have a place for his presence. Will you create a place for his presence? Look at somebody and tell them, you, tell them, will you create a place for God's presence? 
And I find this to be so interesting because Michal in verse 16, she is watching David. She could have been in the ceremony. She could have been with her husband. The slave girls were there, but the queen was missing. She could have been dancing right along with her husband. But she's standing up in her room, looking from afar through a window and judging what God is doing. This is so interesting because there are so many people that are really, really judgy. Have you noticed that in life? And, 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 and they get really, really judgmental when they see people who live in the presence of God. Because they're like, God doesn't do that. It's like, how would you know? You've been stuck in your room looking through a window. You have no idea what God does. I'm actually in it. You're just watching from afar. And it's easy to sit there and to judge all the things and to have a bunch of opinions about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. Let me tell you something. When David was walking with the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant, they were every six feet sacrificing animals. Can I just tell you, there was nothing clean about that. There's a whole bunch of blood everywhere. Every six steps they went. You sit back and you judge. I'm not accusing anybody in this room, by the way, because we all love the presence of Jesus. Is anybody with me? But here's the reality. It's so easy so often to sit on the outside looking in. And you might go, wait a minute, but David was outside and Michal was inside her room. Yeah, yeah. But in is where the presence of the Lord is. And she was outside of that in a box of her own creation, looking through a window, seeing what was going on. And I want you to see this. I want to jump to verse 20 and go back there. Because her words to her husband are this, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself. What is she talking about? Because he exposed himself as an ordinary man. He did not maintain the appearance of his position before the people of Israel. And what it shows to us is that Michal was more interested in position than the presence. She was more interested in ceremony than the change that God wanted to bring. She was more interested in opinions than she was of the goodness of God that was available to her and everybody else. And she's sitting there, and I love it, because what David says, because her words are, how distinguished you look. And, and she's sarcastically saying, you look nothing but distinguished. You, you were not even close to that. It was shameful what you did. And I love David's response in verse 22. He says, those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Everybody say that word, distinguished. I, I, I love this because what, what, what David is saying is basically this. You think I'm shameful because I came as a man in front of God's people? Let me tell you. Mm -mm. God's people will see me as distinguished because they see me as a man of God's presence. 
Your dis- the distinguishing factor of your life and my life is not our talents and our abilities. It's not the amount of money you have in the bank account. It looks like with all the banks going down, that's a whole disaster right now. But it's not the money in the bank account. It's not the position you have in your job. It's not the position you have in this church. God does not consider me anything special because I pastor via the church. He considers me special because I'm a son of his. And if you're a son or daughter of God, of which you are, come on, somebody, then that is what makes you unique and special. It's not the position. It's not the power. It's not the money. It's not the resources. It's not the Gucci you have. It is not anything else of this life that you can attain, that you can hold on to. What will distinguish you in this life is that you are a person filled with the presence of God. There are a whole lot of powerless people in this world that look good on the outside, but they got nothing to offer. But when you, my friend, all you have is Marshall's level clothing, but you got the Gucci presence of God, then you will live the type of life that this world will be impacted by. Am I speaking to anybody right now? I normally don't say that, but it sounded good in the moment. that is what will distinguish you. You can listen to the greatest musician and they got nothing even though they're talented. But you listen to another one who is inspired by the presence of God and it moves in a way that somebody else simply cannot do. You know, I, I, I used to... I used to um, have very specific ways of writing notes to my messages and I would come up with a very strategic plan and it's the intro's gonna be this and and then the body of it's gonna be this and I'm gonna have all these stories and I'm gonna do it because I was crafting a message that I thought would be of the highest impact for the people that were listening to it and I did that for years now obviously we still craft messages because we're studying the word and bringing it to people but but I was crafting it and forming it and making it in a way that I thought would bring the highest level of impact, except for the problem was it didn't. Because my strategies and my plans and my crafting of it was not based off of the presence of God. It was just simply my ideas of attempting to impact people. But when I got serious about the presence of God, I actually threw all that stuff away and I just started going, Lord, what do you want to speak? And I would just get deep into the word and I would study and I would pray, which I do to this day. And then the Lord would just go, this is it. And I would go, okay, that's it. And then I didn't worry about men. I, listen, I, I teach, my friends, and I teach and I train pastors at Life Pacific University. I train them how to preach. And, and, and in the class, you talk about, okay, here's all the examples you can use, and you can do this, and you can do that to make the most impactful messages. Let me just tell you something right now. Even in my position, there is nothing that impacts like the power of the presence of God. And when you get a word from the Lord, it may come off a little messy. It may not come out the exact right way. You might trip up on a few words, but because God is in it, it's going to change lives. It's going to impact people. It's going to bring healing. It's going to do something. 
And, and I would even do this. Man, I, I would write my notes and be like, I'm going to have like these perfect little tweetable phrases that everybody's going to be like, wow. Was that a tweetable phrase right there that, that we could use? And then finally, I just got it, you know? God, I just want what you want to give. I just want to give what you have for everybody. I don't want it to be about me and my ideas about what I'm creating and what I'm making. I'll just, just give me what you have, and I'll give that. And it's been a blessing to live that way. Yesterday, we, we had some uh, training in, in uh, we, we hosted is, is the better way to say it. It wasn't a, an event of our church, but we hosted a training from another organization that came in to train pastors and leaders from other churches. And um, a few of our people also went to it. And, um, and, and I was sitting here, I was standing here in the back of the room. And, and, and when I was in the back of the room and it was just a time of prayer and I just kneeled down and, and I was spending just a few moments with the Lord while everybody was praying. And, and while I was kneeling in the back of the room, I am going, God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you have for me right now? And God spoke to me and he said this, Jeff, you have been now for, we're going on almost three months now since the beginning of the year, just engaging more and more the presence of God. And, and he, he, he showed this to me. He said, Jeff, you want the church to be a church filled with the presence and I'm like, yes, I desire that. Oh, how much I long that it wouldn't just be me, but it would be all of us that would be a people that live in the presence of Jesus. And while I was praying, God said, but, but Jeff, you won't get the church to be in the presence by your own ideas. It's not the strength of your sermons. It's not how much you push. It's not how loud you are or quiet you are. It's just going to be the work that I do. And so I was like, okay, God, it was never me. But how easy it is to even in something that is so important to start making it based off of my own human strength to try to get, I got to get everybody to live in the presence. I got to make it happen. I need all our leaders to live that way. I want the whole congregation to be that way. And I'm going to push and I'm going to shout and I'm going to keep on doing it because we got to get there. We got to get there. But along the way, it can become my strength attempting to get people into God's presence. And God showed me yesterday, Jeff, take a step back inside your own heart and realize that it is a work that I am doing, the Lord was telling me. And so I was like, that gives me the space to rest because it's not me that is going to convince you to get into his presence. It's the Lord that's going to do that. And so I trust him. I trust him. And if you're not there yet, you'll get there. You'll get there. It's very interesting because the name Mikal in the Hebrew essentially means stream, like a stream or a creek. And the name David means, and I know this one well because of our David, means beloved. You can see this 
in the life of David is one who is extremely passionate about the Lord, one who walks in intimacy with him, one who is the beloved of God. And so you see the emotion and you see the desire and you see the commitment to, 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 in, in David's life to living in the presence of God and creating space for the presence of God in his life. But Michal means stream or creek. It, it's basically something that only gets wet when it rains. The rest of the time, there's not a big flow. There's not much happening like the L.A. River. There's nothing except for when we get, you know, this winter and it's raining like crazy. But when there isn't rain the other years, the L.A. River is as dry as anything else. And this was Michal. Oh, she had the moments where she probably showed up to church or showed up to the worship services, showed up to a moment of prayer, and she got a little bit of the rain of God. She got a little bit of the river. She was a little stream. There were the moments where she got it. But it was not a consistent reality for her life. And God is inviting us, church, to be people that don't live off of the momentary highs that come, but people who live constantly and consistently in his presence. And can I just tell you right now that would it be better to live in the river rather than to live in the stream? Would it not be better? Because if you actually live in the constant flow of the presence of God, you will have way more highs than you ever get when you're doing the stream type of life. And so will you live in it? Will you live in it and allow the Lord to do what he wants to do in your life? We see this coming to the end in verses 20 and 21. She says, look how you exposed yourself to the servant girls. Look how you were in the presence of those girls. And David's going, no, look how I was in the presence of God. You will either live for the presence of people or you will live for the presence of God. It is impossible to live for both. You will live for the presence of people. You will live for the accolades of people. You will live for the benefits that people give. You will live for the opportunities that people give or you will live for the presence of God. It can't be both. It's impossible because you only have one heart to give. And your heart will either desire all the things that other people can give you or it will desire what God gives through his presence. Now, when I say you only have one heart to give, I'm not saying that that makes you a, a saved person or an unsaved person, a believer or non-believer. No, I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is your heart longs for something in a certain direction. It can't go in two directions at once. And so you will live, either live for people and what they give, or you will live for his presence and what he brings. Pastor Daniel was um, preaching in our first two services today. And he gave the story about how in his house he... Uh, they recently moved to Texas, and uh, 
in Texas. They, they got a home, the biggest home they've ever had, and they are in the process of remodeling the bathrooms and, you know, everything in the house. And he goes on a trip, and the Lord tells him, hey, you, when you get back home, the first thing that you need to get and remodel is the place of my presence. You've been worried about all the external stuff, all the superficial stuff, all the other things. When you get back home, the first thing you need to do, stop the bathrooms, is make a place for my presence. And so he has an office in his house, and he decided in that moment to set a little space for him to be with God, to pray, spend time with him, and, and remodel that space and put the furniture he wanted to have there. And I'm going, oh, Lord Jesus, we need to add on to our house now. I don't have a corner that works, so we'll have to create one. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the reality is, is that the Lord is inviting you and me to make a place for his presence. David said, there is no way I'm going to allow the presence of God to stay somewhere else. I want it for me right here in the center of my kingdom. And will you allow the presence of God to be in the center of your life as well? It's really interesting because David humbles himself in front of everybody else, but directly in front of God, but in the presence of others as well. And his wife says, oh, look, essentially how humbled you are, how shameful it is. And he goes, no, 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 as I already told you, I'll be even more distinguished because of my humility. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. When you would humble yourself before the presence of God, God will lift you up. And when God lifts you up, nobody can tear you down. Saul lost the anointing. Michal's dad lost the anointing of God. Because he was looking for every other way to run his kingdom except to be a person of the presence of God. In fact, one time he went out into war when he needed to wait for the presence and he decided that it, it was it was taking too long God's presence is too long so I'm going to go out and fight right now and it was a disaster and so the reality is for our lives that when we would become a people that create a place for the presence of God and would consistently live in his presence in our lives that we would become like David who actually ended up dying at an old age, living as a king, seeing his next, the next king, one of his sons, Solomon, be abundantly blessed by God because David was a man of the presence of God. And can I just tell you right now that if you would live that type of life, God will not just bless you, but he will bless the generations that come after you. And some of you are in this room and you have little kids and you're going, how am I going to do this parenting thing? I'll tell you how. Make room 
for the presence of God in your life? How many books do I need to read? One. Who do I need to be inspired by? God. And that will be more than enough for you. I'm not telling you don't read parenting books. It's okay. Read them. But what I'm telling you is that there is no substitute for what God will give to you. Some of you got older kids and you're wondering, what am I going to do? They're teenagers now. And when I was a youth pastor, I had it all figured out. I was like, I was telling all the parents what to do with their kids and like you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the other. And then when we had our first teenager, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But get into the presence of Jesus, he'll show you what to do. Generation after generation will be blessed if you would live in the presence of God. And I know it, I know it to be true. Why? Because I've been blessed. My wife has been blessed. But we come from a lineage of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who were people of the presence of God. And I have enough of life now, 43 years, to tell you that I've lived moments with this presence and I've lived moments without it and it is so much better with it. It is just so much better with it. Let's stand up together. And today I want to pray for you. And my sense is that there are some of us in this room right now that are like Mikal. Maybe you're not judgmental, but you're sitting in the room looking from the window. And, and, and this whole thing that is going on, this whole movement of God that you see happening in other people's lives, this whole presence of God which is showing up with people, you're like, I'm still not convinced. And that's how you've been living. You've been living, seeing it, but you're still kind of like, ah, I don't know. And I just got to say this before we pray, because I, I have, in all my years of ministry, I have realized that it has been typically the case that women are much more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Guys just tend to be a lot more hard-headed or distracted, or I don't know what's going on. And, and, and that has been the case that I have seen over the years. Now, now track with me where I'm going. But, but God is on the move right now. And, and, and I am seeing for the first time, I actually noticed this probably about two months ago. And I've been seeing it. In our church, I have seen men worshiping like never before. And if you're a man in the house who's been worshiping, praise God and keep doing it. I have seen men praying like never before. And, and that's actually very new. Because it's typically mostly the women that are willing to do that. But I'm starting to see men say, no, I'm not going to sit on the outside just watching while other people do it. I'm going to get into it as well. And to that I say, praise God. Praise God. Keep on doing it, Lord. Keep on doing it. But whether man or woman in this room... You're like Mikal, and you've been on the outside, and while David's dancing, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And while you see everybody moving, you're like, yeah, no. 
And when you see everybody shouting, you're like, yeah, I'd rather be silent. And I'm not telling you to start dancing. I'm not even telling you to start shouting. I'm not telling you to start doing anything except for this one thing. Just get into his presence. Leave the room. Go through the door and get into his presence. So Jesus, today, we need you. We need you now more than ever before. Jesus, there is a move of God that is happening not only in our church, but in many churches, in many places, in many universities. There's a move of God that is happening. And Lord, we, we are privileged and blessed that you have been moving for a while now in our church. And we are grateful for that. But Lord, we understand today that there is more. This is not a momentary move. This is not a seasonal thing. While in the world there is a time for everything, as it says in Ecclesiastes, in the spirit there is always a time for the presence of God. In the spirit, the move is continuous and never ending. So Jesus, today, we want to be people of your presence. And today, if you are saying, Lord God, I want to stop looking from afar, but I want to go where David is. I don't want to be a Michal that just has a little bit of rain every once in a while. I want to be a David who is passionate, consistently and constantly walking in your presence. And if that's you, would you raise up your hands to the Lord if this is what you desire and Lord Jesus today I pray that you would cause for a new hunger to come upon every person in this room and all those with their hands raised that they would become a people of your presence that they would not live any longer for the machinations and the ways of being and the strategies and the plans that they have in their minds but they would come in simplicity before you and they would begin to live in your presence every day every hour every second that they are alive may you cause for everybody in this church to become people of your presence and so lord god we say it today we receive you we receive you we want you we want more of you lord would you put your hunger in our lives would you bring us to a place of utter dependency on you and that we would realize that all else is weak and all else is nothing compared to you and that which you offer so jesus today we say yes to you we say yes to your goodness we say yes to your presence and we say lord fill us to overflowing in jesus name and how many say amen come on let's give an applause to the lord and sing together right now <laughs>